0: Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Tyler Hudgens. It's great to be here with you today. Happy Father's Day to all the dads here. Come on. There we go. Like, like Luke said, um, today's actually my first Father's Day. got a picture of my daughter we'll throw up here on the screen. She's four and a half months old. Yeah. Thank you. So it's a real special day. My wife, Kelsey, and I, this is uh, Eating Grace, Um, and she's been a huge blessing in her life. Um, As Luke said, I'm the assistant uh, director of student ministries for fifth grade to twelfth grade. I'm eight weeks into my role, and so it's really great to be here with you guys. And my wife and I recently uh, transferred from Redemption Gilbert to Redemption Gateway, and it's been such a blessing to be a part of this family. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, this is only my second time preaching And I've never preached on a Sunday. If I'm honest, handling your authoritative word feels weighty. But I'm reminded that you have preached countless times by your Holy Spirit through all kinds of people. Father, I admit I can't preach. I can't think. I can't feel. I can't heal. I can't save. And I can't do anything of eternal value that I wish I could do. Lord, here I am. For apart from you, I can do nothing. Holy Spirit, come and speak. Amen. My main idea for today is knowing the father is walking like the son. I'll repeat that again. Knowing the father is walking like the son. I want to tell you a story of a boy who knew his father really well. His father dressed up like a cowboy. And so the son would dress up like the father. This boy, his parents divorced when he was two years old. And this father would come and pick up the son every other weekend. And the son would always look forward to getting to see his dad, to be with his dad. And so he would grab his backpack and he would go stand out on the street corner and he would wait for his dad. The boy on this day waited 10 minutes, waited 20 minutes, waited 30 minutes, and the dad didn't show up. The mom finally called the boy in and said, hey, come on inside. And little did the boy or the mother know, the father was arrested. He was arrested because he owed $12,000 in child support. And he was thrown into jail, and he was given three options. Pay the $12,000 in child support, sit in jail, or sign this piece of paper and give your parental rights over your son. Next time the boy would see the father, he didn't know that this would be the last time. And he never saw his dad again. Why do I tell you this story? I tell you this story because I was the boy. Now, I don't share this story to condemn fathers on Father's Day. And I don't share this story for sons and daughters who experience pain with their earthly father. For dads, there's grace in Christ Jesus. For sons and daughters, there's healing in Christ Jesus. And I don't even share this story to shame or condemn my own father. For I've forgiven him completely. I share this story because it was my reality. And I want God to use it for your benefit today. But there's good news in this story. My stepfather petitioned the courts to adopt me as his own son. He's here today. Happy Father's Day, Dad. I was introduced to you today as Tyler Hudgens, but I was born as Tyler McDormand. I was not my stepfathers, but he said, you are mine. He changed my diapers. He spent time with me. He coached my soccer games. He would pick me up when my car would break down. He still comes over today and helps me out with all kinds of things. The same thing is kind of happening in this passage that we're going through today. For me, I was given a new name and I was given and brought into a new family a new way of life. First, John, the apostle John, he's writing to a group of churches that have been given a new name and they've been brought into a new family. And so what he's trying to communicate to them is that they're experiencing some division and there's some people who are trying to deceive them. This may have left some of the early followers in this church asking some similar questions that we're asking today. And so to repeat, my main idea is knowing the Father is walking like the Son. And so we're going to talk about two questions today. The first question is, how do we know that we know God? How do we know that we know God? The second question, what does it look like to walk in the same way that Jesus walked? So the first question, how do we know that we know God in our chapter, chapter two, starting in verse three, it says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his commandments or keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. This is some extreme language. It says liar. The truth is not in you. Those who say they know them. John is using this language intentionally. And this passage is highlighting our first question. How do we know that we know God? Other ways that we may ask the same question is, how do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I know that my conversion experience was real? John is writing this to say that you may know It says in chapter five, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now there's a difference between those who say that they know the truth compared to those who actually live the truth. John is trying to give people confidence in this moment to say that, yes, you do have eternal life. You can know. And as we learned, it's more than an identity but it's a way of life. I haven't always been the best of this. Um, I've played soccer my whole life. And when my wife Kelsey and I were dating, she would come out to my soccer games and I'm a really competitive and aggressive guy. And so I'd be out there throwing my shoulders at guys, saying some words here and there. And guys, I did this as a Christian. Now there's a difference from being competitive and being a jerk. I was just being a jerk. And so, rightfully so, this was actually a major turnoff to my wife, Kelsey. <laughs> she saw a person who said he loved God, but when he's on the field, he didn't show it. I had made a fatal mistake. I had separated my faith to outside the soccer field and pretended that I didn't have a responsibility on the field to uphold the ways of Christ. Kelsey reminded me that I'm a part of the family of God and to represent Christ on both on and off the field. Now I'll admit, it took a few games for this to sink in. I'd be out there throwing my elbows, saying some words, and I would look over and I'd see my wife giving me the look. (laughs) Guys, you know what I'm talking about. But I learned through this that God really cares that we love others. In uh, the gospel of John chapter 13, verses 33 to 34, it says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The royal flush of the Christian faith is love. You're going to see on this, the screen here, the 10, the Jack, the Queen, the King, and the Ace, all in the same suit. This is the royal flush. The royal flush in poker is an unbeatable hand. It wins against every other hand. And John is referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, And so his uh, understanding of love is particularly unique. In fact, of the 116 times that love is mentioned in the New Testament, 25% of those occur in John's writings. And of half of that 25% occur in this book, 1 John. So for us to really understand what John's getting at, we have to understand this idea of love. We can know all things, but if we do not love love, We missed the whole point. Christ did not just know about our pain and suffering, but he entered into it on the basis of love. So to know God is to love others and to love him. It actually says in our passage where John is connecting this idea of loving him. It says, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. What is this idea? The love of God is perfected. What it means is it's our love for God. Our love for God reaches its fulfillment when we love Christ by living out his word. Meaning there's no better expression for our love. And the expression that John is primarily focused on is our love for others. That's what he's focused on. If you want to show God you love him, play the royal flesh. Don't just say you have the royal flesh, but play it. Love others. It's the perfect hand. No other hand can win. And so to answer our question, how do we know that we know God? We should be, to some extent, we should be trying and to some extent succeeding at keeping God's word. The test of if we know God comes down to if our lives produce a reflection of Christ. It should do that. Because a theology of love is no theology at all. A a theology without love is no theology at all. We can claim to love Christ while still living as a functional atheist. And so keeping the words of Christ is actually the sign of being in God's family. However, it would be unreasonable for us to think that we can keep perfect obedience to God's word. To be clear, John is not saying that we will be able to keep perfect obedience to God's word. Because as Luke said last week in his passage in the the chapter, uh, it says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We all fall short. But praise God that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ that lived the life that we should have lived. And now we have his example to bring our lives more into alignment with the calling that he has given us as members of his family. Praise God for that. And so now we're going to move on to our second question. Now that we've answered, how do we know that we know God? The second question is, what does it look like to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. It says in our passage here, starting in verse five, end of it, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I don't know how many of us really understand what we actually believe. We believe that a Jewish rabbi 2,000 years ago who didn't live to the age of 35, who rose from the dead, is the answer for all human history. (laughs) Amen. There we go, brother. However, there was something very different about this rabbi. All others who tried to claim to be the Christ or claim to be the Messiah, when they died, they died. When they died, their followings never came back. This was different with Jesus as evidence of this room, this word, this truth has continued to carry forward and the following has continued. But we often forget that Jesus was a rabbi to begin with. So what's a rabbi? Rabbi literally means teachers, teacher. And so rabbis, they would have these disciples that would follow them wherever they would go and they would learn from them. In fact, there was this old rabbinic saying, may the dust of your rabbi cover you. And so what would happen is, what does this mean? The dust of your rabbi may it cover you. The rabbi would be walking and the disciples would be following him. The dust from the rabbi's feet should be shooting up onto the disciples. That's how close that they should be to their rabbi. Their job is to imitate him, to follow him closely. It's a lot like these stickers you guys have on your cars now. It's, uh, do you follow Jesus as closely? And I know some of you guys have that sticker, and you're probably thinking to yourself, that's right, I'm just trying to make sure people are following their rabbi, and it's not me and not the back of my car. I love those stickers. But there was actually a moment when Jesus called his first uh, disciples with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is standing there. He's got a couple disciples with him. And Jesus walks by and John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God. And these two disciples that are with him start to follow Jesus down the road. And Jesus turns around and says to the disciples, what are you seeking? And the two disciples are excited that he's noticed them and says, rabbi, where are you going? And Jesus looks back at them and says, come and you will see. When the disciples respond with that question, Rabbi, where are you staying? The verb for are you staying is Greek. And the Greek is meno. And it's most often translated to mean to remain or to abide. But it more practically means to reside, to stay, to live, to lodge or dwell. But for our purposes today, meno is going to mean to take up permanent residence. And so a residence, it's like a home. And when you go into somebody's home, you really start to learn a lot about them. For instance, some of us have some friends here that we'll just see at church and that's it. But then there's some other friends that will invite us into their home or we'll invite, uh, invite them into our home. Now people can hide stuff really easily. If you come over once or twice, I'm sure you guys have experienced with this. Um, you can hide stuff, right? But if you stay over at that house, you take up permanent residence. After a week or a month, a year, you start to really learn a lot about those people. You'll notice that they keep this house really that clean all the time. Is it dirty? Um, What books do they read? How do they spend their time? How do they treat one another? There's nothing to hide. And it's those friends that we know the best. And so, is Jesus just going to be our Sunday church friend? Or is he going to be the friend that we have permanent residence with throughout our weeks? We see Jesus respond to the disciples' question with a simple invitation. He says, come and you will see. This come and you will see extends far beyond a physical location. He's inviting them to encounter his presence and to encounter life transforming relationship with him. And so when we respond to Jesus's invitation to come and see, we are invited into his home and to learn what he is all about. There was a moment in my life where Jesus said, come and see. Before I knew God, I was an atheist. I said, I didn't want God. I didn't need God. I didn't care about God. That was until four people close to our family died in six weeks. Up to that point, I'd always been self-assured and very self-confident. But in that moment, my world was falling apart. I realized I didn't have the answers. And I had some friends. It was a simple invitation, but they said, hey, we see you're going through a lot. Do you want to come to church? I said, I would do anything. I would do anything because I was desperate. I believe this moment was Jesus saying, come and you will see. Are any of you guys feeling out of answers? Are any of you guys feeling desperate? Then Jesus is saying to you today, come and you will see. Now, when I had finally come to the end of myself, I showed up to church It was great. I didn't miss a single weekend. I sort of, I loved it. What was not to like? There was nice movie theater seats with cup holders, great live music and public speaking. It was awesome. I was at church, but I wasn't abiding in Christ. I was like just a member of the crowd. That was until one day the pastor got up on stage and he said, this whole year, we're going through the book of John. There's some of you here, you're sitting on the fence with Christ. Christ. Let's be honest, you're not in. Make this the year that you decide, are you going to follow Jesus with all your life? Then get off the fence and follow him. If not, get off the fence and walk away. This hit me in my heart. I was like, okay, I'll I'll take the test. I'll, I'll I'll spend the whole year. I'll go through this. I'll see if this is real. By the end of that year, I rejected atheism. And committed my life to Christ. It was the best decision I ever made. Looking back and during all those deaths and finally becoming open to the invitation, the only way that I can describe what I experienced was it was like God pulling me and saying, You are mine. I didn't understand theology at the time. I didn't understand does God choose me? Do I choose him? Heck, I didn't even know there was a debate. (laughs) But what I did know was my experience, and it was an unmistakable pulling of me towards him. Guys, I would not have chosen him on my own, ever. God did something miraculous in my soul. This is similar to when my dad adopted me, and he said, you are mine. He called me son, just like God has done for all of us. When my dad adopted me, I was officially brought into a new family with a new way of life. For Hudgens, I learned that we wear black. (laughs) I don't know why, we just do. The same goes for you and God's family. He says you are mine and he brings you into this new family and a new way of life. This family wasn't even called Christian, which means followers of Christ. Followers of Christ were originally known as followers of the way. Being in the family of God was more than just an identity. It was a way of life. That's why they were called followers of the way. The way you knew followers of the way was whether they were walking in the same way as Christ. Like it says here in our text. And to walk with your rabbi means you need to take up permanent residence or to abide with him in order to learn his ways. Guys, I didn't learn that I wear black because I believed it. I learned it because I spent time with my dad. I went to family event year after year. I was in proximity to my dad and my family. And then in proximity, it's when I started to look like the family. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. When I think of that phrase, be imitators of God as beloved children, I think of a moment that I had last week with my wife and my daughter Eden. My wife was making these silly sounds to her. And, and my daughter started to imitate the sounds back to her. This brought us so much joy to see our daughter communicating with us, imitating us. Now, I know a lot of you guys have seen, I've been parents for a long time, seen way more amazing things. But as a new dad, this is like amazing. <laughs> and so imagine what joy it brings God, your father, as we imitate him like beloved children. I'm sure it brings him a lot of joy. And if anybody understood this, it would have been the Apostle John. He was one of Christ's arguably closest disciples. And he caught a lot of dust from his rabbi. First, John stood with Mary, Jesus' mother, at the base of the cross as Jesus gave his life in the most horrific and heinous way. John stood there and watched what love looks like. Love poured out for the sins of the whole world. But there's also three other moments where we see that uh, John uh, records in his gospel um, where Jesus literally loves others. In one with the, the blind man, he spits on the ground in the dirt and he gets low and he grabs the dirt and he makes it into mud. And then he takes the mud, he puts it on the blind man's eyes, And he loves him by restoring his sight. The next moment, some Pharisees and teachers of the law bring this woman caught in adultery. And they have stones in their hand to kill this woman. Jesus gets down in the sand when they ask him a question. And he starts to write in the sand. And he says, he without stone, may he cast the first stone. One by one, these teachers and Pharisees started to walk away and drop their stones. And then it was just him and the woman. And he said to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? She says, I don't know. They're gone. And Jesus says, well, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The third moment, Jesus on the last night with his disciples takes a towel and gets on his knees And he begins to wash the dirt off his disciples' feet. He even washes the feet of Judas, the one who would betray him. He says, if I, your Lord and teacher, your rabbi, wash your feet, you also ought to wash the feet of one another. In these three moments, we see Christ saying, imitate me copy me, come and see, do as I do, walk in the same way that I walked. He gets in the dirt. He loves. And so if we're going to understand what it looks like to answer our second question, what does it look like to walk in the same way that Jesus walked? How much dust are you covered in? How much dust are you covered in? Because to be an imitator of God— You have to look like him by getting low and finding yourself in his dust. John primarily has in mind that the dust should look like loving one another because that's what it means to be in the family of God. And so as we conclude Redemption Gateway, do we know what our Heavenly Father has done for us? This is what our Heavenly Father has done for us. The world he developed got a deadly disease It broke his heart to see the world hate and destroy one another. He loved this world so much that he entered into the world to save us. Christ said, I and the Father are one. Our Father paid the highest payment of all. Our Father imprisoned himself in death. Our Father, instead of casting us away, signed our adoption papers. He gave us all new names. He gave us a new way of life. He brought us into a new family with different ways. He said, you were mine. Little children, he says. We must now walk for the sake of the world like Christ and to know our heavenly father. Amen? Amen. Bow, bow your heads. We're going to go ahead and close in prayer. Abba, father. Thank you for this day. Thank you for calling us into your family and into a different way of life. You have changed our lives, and we're thankful for you. God, thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that we would go forward from here and that we would be covered in the dust of our rabbi. We pray this in your name. Amen.